Welcome to ContenderCast, a leadership conversation centered on shining a light on bright ideas. And now here's your host, Justin Hahnemann. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for listening. It's Justin Hahnemann on the ContenderCast for shining a light on bright ideas. And today, Michael O'Brien is back with me on the ContenderCast for part two of our amazing leadership conversation. Michael, it's so great to have you back on the show. Uh, Justin, it's awesome. This is the sequel. <laughs> and so I know, I know you... Pr- you promise, I promise that the sequel will be better than, than the even first the original. <laughs> yes. Which, I'm excited. Which is rare. I which know. Which is rare. In, You're in right. Movies, except for Godfather 2. Oh right? my gosh. And I do love movies, by the way. Um, no, I was so excited to have you back on. Uh, for those that maybe haven't heard part one with me and Michael, press pause here and go back and check it out because we covered his first book, Shift. Creating Better Tomorrows, Winning at Work and in Life. We talked about his newest book, My Last Bad Day Shift, How to Prevent Bad Moments from Turning into Bad Days. And if you go back and check that out or when you go back and check it out, you'll hear his amazing story of recovering from just an incredible accident and how he changed his life. So, I mean, Michael, that I, we, we could rehash that, but that would take the whole podcast. But I mean, unbelievable what you've done with that, that experience. Well, thanks, Justin. And I think I stressed in the first book, and I know you believe in this too, and your listeners, is that I didn't do it alone. So I may be, say, on the cover of that book, but my that story is one of gratitude and resilience, but also just the power of community that I call our Peloton. So I use that as a metaphor for tribes. So I, like, I, I couldn't be here today without a ton of other people. And that whole, that whole effort was led by my wife. So she's the she is the head cyclist in my peloton. If you <laughs> I love that. Yeah, of course. You know, you hear about like you know you do hear leadership junkies talking about tribes and whatnot. I like your idea of peloton. That's kind of cool. Yeah, it's a little bit of a different spin, and I think a lot of people once they learn what a peloton is, a, a group of cyclists in a bike race, and they understand that they need trust and collaboration and communication. Even though the peloton is made up of different teams, they're still working together. I think it brings in this notion that even if we're on different teams or we have different perspectives in today's society, we still need to be working together to go down the road as fast as possible. Absolutely. And and to just be coordinate coordinated and safe. It just it helps build culture and community and all that jazz. And so yeah, so we can have maybe different goals, but we can still be very connected. And I think we need more of that certainly in society and certainly at work. I love that. Well, and and for those that don't know Michael, obviously you can already tell, I mean, he's just an expert in this whole business leadership space, has worked in it for many years. You can check out his website, michaelobrienshift.com. Michael, so you know, you and I were talking before we hit record and we were talking about the plan for today and I thought what we could do is, and to share this with our our listeners is, is we're going to touch on some things from your newest book, um, that we didn't get to on part one. And then I can't wait to dive into this idea of conversational intelligence, which when you mentioned that and on the last podcast, I was like, Oh my God, we got to like explore that. So anyway, that's our, that's our plan for today. How's that sound? I, th- I think it's awesome. <laughs> I love talking about conversational intelligence. It's uh, okay. one of the things that it's the red thread that 
puts it all together. I, okay. I love that. So um, let's start with this. So, so your newest book, My Last Bad Day Shift, you guys need to check this out. How to Prevent Bad Moments from Turning into Bad Days. Like I, All of us have bad moments and all of us have bad experiences or tough experiences or challenges in life, etc. So when I saw the title of this, I, I remember back when I first had you on, I was like, this is a no-brainer. But share with our audience a little bit about this book and kind of the, the backstory on it, and then we'll dive into a couple of the elements of it. Yeah, sounds perfect. Well, this was a request by the readers of Shift, my first book. They were like, hey, great story. And then you know this because you read Shift. The last chapter, I provide 20 ways of showing up or 20 ways of being to create a better tomorrow. But I didn't necessarily share with people exactly what I did. And so a lot of people said, hey, you know, are you going to come out with another book with a little bit more of a how-to? So my last bad day shift is more of a how-to. It's, it's, it's pithy, it's short, but it's packed filled with a whole bunch of really good reflective questions, uh, some assessments, some, you know, just some habits and rituals. So those bad moments don't turn into bad days. So it's a great, it can stand alone on its own, but it, it can also be a really great companion to the first book. Well, there's a couple of key parts to it that you shared with me ahead of time. And I'd love to just touch on some of those. Uh, one of the big ideas that you shared was you've got to change how you work and to change how you live. Share a little bit about what that means. Yeah, this is, I think this is so critical today because we spend like there, there's no firewall anymore. There's, it doesn't seem to be any boundary any, no. anymore. Although I would recommend that people have some boundaries between work and life, but we are connected <laughs> more than ever and we're working more than ever. And probably a lot of your listeners, they're not doing just the nine to five. Right. You know, a lot of people have a main hustle and that could be 50, 60 hours a week. Yep. They could have a couple different side, side hustles. hustles. Right? Yep. You know, so it seems like we're, always working we're spending so much time at work and i know in some circles it's like well we got to change you know change how we live together in community but i think where we can really start to build connection like exercise that muscle again where we hear each other and see each other is at work because we spend so much time at work no question so we can develop as we're going to talk about conversational intelligence empathy connection trust and i think when those things happen, it sends a ripple out there. And I think that ripple from work can spill into life. So and how, then yeah, and how does that work? Back. Yeah. How does that work in, in application? Like, how do you bring that to life? If, if you're listening and you're one of those individuals that's, that's trying to think about work differently. I think it really starts. One of the things I offer up in the, in the book is how we start our days are critical. A lot Ooh, of us are that. waking up, with our cell phones, we're, we're sleeping <laughs> with our phones, and that's not the thing you should be sleeping with. And and here's the here's the problem: is that when we use our phone as our alarm clock, as many of us do, it's do. so tempting to go right into email or social. And this is happening before we really wipe the sleep out of our eyes. <laughs> so we're already on the hamster wheel without right. setting our intentions for the day. Like, how do we want to show up? How do we want to connect with people? How do we, you know, what what are the big rocks we want to move today? I'm, I'm a big believer. Hey, if you're going to use your phone as your alarm clock, cool. Just don't get into email or social right away. Because 
what that does is it frames your day in terms of like what you've missed overnight or what what you haven't done and so it feels like the chase is on so (laughs) you you get up you try to pour your coffee and you get on the hamster wheel and then you just are going but you're not being intentional about where you're going you're just spinning and I think if we can sh- just spend five, 10 minutes in the morning before we hit email, just thinking about, okay, how do I just want to show up? How do I want to connect with people? How do I listen to connect with others, see people, build that Peloton or tribe at work, make that stronger, infuse more trust in the system, and then start thinking about, okay, what are the big priorities I have to move on today? Like that really does sort of set up or tee up your day. And I think a much more meaningful way. And then you can get into email and then you can go about your day, but you always have that anchor about, okay, here was my intention. Here are my goals for the day. And I always sort of circle back to that. I love it. We already got a piece of advice from you. This is awesome. We could stop now. Just kidding. All uh, right. No, all right. <laughs> right. right. Oh, wait, drop the mic. Drop the, drop the phone. Right, drop, drop the phone and we're out. I can drop my mic. Uh, yeah. You know, it's interesting the way I do that. I swim most mornings like with a master swim group. And so while I do wake up with the notifications, I get to like leave it in the locker for an hour and 15 minutes or so and plan my day in my head while swimming. I know it sounds crazy, but I, that's that's kind of my way of setting the day, even though I've already looked at what I missed overnight. So it's a little weird. Yeah, that, that's okay. I think that's not crazy at all. I, I use sometimes my cycling time right. as my time to really get my head on straight. So back in my corporate life, I would use my bike commute to work ah. to think about, hey, when I come into the office, how do, How do I, I want, want to, to show come up? In? I love that. How do you How want, to do show I up? want to show up? I love that. And then also on the commute back, how do I want to show up when I walk through the door at home? Because now my wife and kids want the best of me. And so this is all in an effort of how do we manage our energy better oh, at work? That. So we're not bringing our energy leftovers home to the people that we care about the most. Well, I'm a big energy fan, um, which is yet another whole nother podcast. I think, um, Okay. So one of the other cool concepts you talk about is how you say you've got to build a community or as you, your word Peloton, um, that will have your back and that sounds great, but how do you make, how do you bring that to life? Um, as people read that and hear that, like when they go, yeah, okay, how do I build a community that will have my back? Like, how do we make that happen? Yeah. So one is first to do assessment. And one of the chapters I give people a little bit of a, oh, actually not a little bit, a framework on how to build their Peloton. So I'm a big believer that this is personal and professional. And people in your Peloton play different roles from folks that can help you clarify when you're stuck. They'll ask you the really great question. Some people are there to comfort you. Some people are there when you are at your lowest, like I was recovering from my last bad day. Some people are there to challenge you, sort of push your buttons a bit in a good way. And then there are other people there that will be there to celebrate with you. And not everyone plays every role. This is one of the things I learned when I was recovering in the hospital. There were three groups of people, Justin, in my life back then. There were people who I thought were going to show up, who showed up to help. There are people that I 
didn't think were going to show up, but showed up in a huge way. That was a great surprise. It's so And true. there were people, there were people that I thought were going to show up, but didn't. That's so a, this here, is such a timely topic. Well, keep going. And then I'll, I'll add. Yeah. So, and so here I was at the lowest of my low, I was in a crisis. Our family was in a crisis. And even one of my very best friends from high school, who I thought was going to show up, he didn't show up. And at first, I was so irritated. I was so mad that he didn't show up. I was like, how dare you? Like, we went through a lot together. And here, when I need you the most, you do not show up. And what I've learned over time, and I write about this in the first book, is that he just didn't know how to show up. Some people in our lives are not good when there's a crisis, but still can be in our Peloton because they can be there to help you clarify something, or they can be there to celebrate something with you. So I think a great Peloton has diversity. It's not, it's not just one person and not everyone should like sound and look and think like us, you know, a good Peloton has diversity because we, we need diverse perspectives today because the problems of tomorrow are, are definitely more complex than the problems of yesterday. So I came to realize that a great Peloton, they have different roles, personal and professional, that not everyone can sort of satisfy every role. And we should probably do more to bring our Peloton together so the members in it know each other. And the final piece I would say, Justin, that I write about is that a Peloton isn't one way. This isn't all about me and my Peloton and what people are going to do for me. It's also... What can I do for the members of my Peloton? Sure. So we go no back question. and forth and really sort of, sort of in essence, value the we of the Peloton over just me. That's, if that makes that's sense. fascinating. And uh, you know, just a couple minutes ago, I was thinking, I just had a recent conversation with my good friends, Braden, and we both were talking about this topic. And he was sharing with me that he had been a part of a, a major consulting organization for many years. And when he left, you know, the people that he thought would show up didn't. The people that he was shocked showed up did. And then there were some in between. And I, I, I find the same thing like when I left when I left Coca-Cola. I mean, I, I don't know. I, maybe it was just my expectations are wrong. But I find, I find it interesting, like you said, maybe some people just don't know how to show up or I don't know. It's just, it's just really interesting to see how that plays out, especially in an environment where like you spend most of your day at work and you feel like all these people have your back. But then when you move on, it's like, well, actually they didn't, or they were just part-time friends. Yeah. Well, I think it's a lot of it. It's like, we tend to view people through our lens or our values. So true. Hey, so if, if it was happening to you, I would show up for you. Therefore I expect that you're going to show up for me. Totally. But we, totally. but we know this through, you know, a lot of corporations, they'll do work on like, what are your values? And so we know through those exercises that we don't all share the same values. No there question. are some values are just more important to me than say to you or to one of your listeners. And so we show up with those in mind. So a lot of times when we need help, like in a job transition, like Coca-Cola or, or your friend, is that we say, well, if, if it was me, I would show up. And so then we are passing some judgment as opposed to having enough space in the conversation to say, well, yeah, maybe you're not showing up. Maybe you don't know how. You may not know what to do. And you may have a different worldview or perspective that's driving your behavior. So instead of arguing 
with it and getting upset about right, it, right. I'm I'm going to because back in the early days of my recovery, I was arguing with reality, and I re- realized reality wins 100% of its arguments. So <laughs> right. I learned the value of acceptance, which isn't tolerating the situation. Acceptance is about, hey, it's like this. Hey, it's like this, that you didn't show up. So now I know I have some clarity. I and agree. I'm not going, it was clarity. I'm not going to fester on it. Yeah, no. I'm not going to fester on it. Because no. that festering on that bad moment, that's what leads to bad days. And I know your listeners, I know... We've all been there where a bad moment on Friday at 2 p.m. ruins our weekend. Right. Uh, no question. And it, do- and it doesn't have to be that way. Right. And it's not easy to deal with that. Um, it's, no, it's not yeah. easy. There's a lot of emotional labor to this. That's but, so true. You know, if we think about not giving that moment any more fuel than it deserves. <laughs> right. <laughs> then we can yeah. we can make that shift faster and then get on to the things that that matter most yeah and uh, have the energy for it <laughs> the way i always say it is don't let anybody steal your joy and it's easy to say that and most of the time i can i can follow through on that and every once in a while it's a struggle but um okay one of the other cool things that you talk about and kind of linked to your book is this whole idea of conversational intelligence and i know you reference it or reference the topic area in, in this book but it's an, it's an area that when i heard you mention this i was like god we've got to dive into that and you've got a whole method around communication and whatnot so tell us your definition of conversational intelligence and how it should apply to all of us as, as leaders well i think this is vital because when you think about it everything happens in our lives through conversation. Now, some of them are text messages or Facebook or LinkedIn or email, but we can't, we can't get anything done without a conversation. And we, we spend a lot of time at work talking about emotional intelligence, but we don't necessarily talk a lot about conversational intelligence. So conversational intelligence was based on research by the late and great Judith Glazer. She did some excellent research on conversations and she found that nine out of 10 conversations fail to hit their desired mark, their desired intention, which is crazy. And and this, I think this is why we tend to at work have meetings to (laughs) clean up after the meeting we just had, right? That happens often. (laughs) And we're, 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 we're just, we're not present and, we're not connecting and our meetings are ineffective. So in this, in my last bad day shift, I do talk about how to have a difficult conversation, how to have meetings go better and go smoother. But so conversational intelligence is around finding the agility or versatility to have the type of conversation you need to have for the particular situation. So there are times where we need to be directive. Like it's okay as a leader, as you know, a parent as a spouse, where we need to be directive because, you know, it, it's urgent and we need to have clarity. And then there are also times where we need to co-create things together, where instead of being directive and telling, we ask questions for which we don't know the answer. And so now what happens in those situations is that something in the body changes. We, we release oxytocin and serotonin and dopamine, all that good <laughs> mojo in our body. Yep. And that helps us build trust. Sure. So so most of the time though, because many people aren't leading or coaching, they're directing or managing. We 
have moments where we can co-create a solution to a challenge, but we lead with ego and we're directing. And what that does, that sort of chips away at trust and it causes like the body to release some stress hormones like cortisol, maybe some adrenaline, and you get into that whole fight and flight situation. That's just our natural biological response to stress. So conversational intelligence is really that whole process of like, how can I have better conversations at work and in life and develop a little bit more agility or versatility so I can match the conversation approach to the situation at hand? Wow. I love that. I love that idea. Well, and and to bring it to life, you've put together a, a, a process, right? Your lava communication flow process. Talk a little bit about that and how, how that comes to life. Yeah. So Lava was formed through some of my coach training and also inspired by one of my coaches back in the day. And it, it ties into conversational intelligence. It also ties back into energy, right? Because when we show up having the best converse, conversations possible, the vibe and the mojo is different. The energy is different. So Lava stands for listen, acknowledge, validate, and ask. So the L is listen fully, intuitively, actively. So listen to what's being said and what's not being said. A lot of times we tend to listen very subjectively where we listen with just an eye focus, not a <laughs> yeah, we focus. Or distracted. <laughs> yeah, it just yep. distracted like because we're multitasking right. or whatever. So the A is acknowledged and that's where we sort of play back what we've heard from the other person. And what this does is it builds connection and trust to say, hey, let, let me just play back what I heard from you. And they can feel, okay, yeah, we're tracking, we're on the same page. And that helps strengthen the foundation of the conversation. The V for validate is acknowledging that it's okay for them to have, it's or perfectly reasonable for them to have a point of view. As we mentioned earlier, when we talked about building our Peloton, a lot of times we'd like to think that everyone shares our perspective. Sure. And Clearly, that's not the case. You can <laughs> right. just look at politics in this right. country, and that's certainly oh not the case. Heaven forbid. We're, we're not going to go there on right. the show. But <laughs> the, vali- the validation is like, you know what? Just as another human being across from me, you have every right to a point of view. I have a right to a point of view. And now that A gets into the classic open-ended questions, the who, what, when, where, how, and why. So we start to you know dive into and share each other's perspectives. And now we're getting into a a mode where we're having maybe a co-creation type of conversation where we try to build a solution that we both can agree to that can create a better tomorrow for us. So that's what lava is all about. It's just that sort of thing about lava flowing and conversation flowing. And it just, it's a good acronym to have in our back pocket when conversations may not necessarily be going down the path we want them to go down sure wow that's i think that's awesome and i'm you know something that everyone can leverage i mean i think everyone's got opportunities right around communication improvement oh totally and and this is another intentional thing like we talked about intentions in the morning i think it's also important to set our like spend 30 seconds before we walk into the meeting how do i want to be like what's my role how do I want to show up? How do I how manage do I in my connect? emotions around a topic yeah. that's going to come up? Yeah. 
Am or I a present? potential like, bad actor in the room or someone who's yes. difficult to work with. Oh yeah. Cause we all go into meetings where it's like, Oh, that person. Right. And they're, and th- those people have this way of just triggering manipulating. And, yes. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is that, you know, this just like, like they don't get to have some say going back to, we don't want other people to s- steal our joy is that w- if we can, if we can be intentional about, all right, we know that person in the room has a way of getting under our skin, but I'm going to show up in a way where I'm not going to let that happen. And so now we're preventing even the bad moment from happening in the first place. That's so true. And I do believe everyone has their own baggage they bring into any meeting or any situation, right? I try, oh, I try to provide some or allow yeah. for some grace and that, that life is happening outside of that room as well. <laughs> yeah, we're, you know, we, we carry a, like an invisible backpack around <laughs> with us in our meetings of like so for, so the sure. things that we said like last month or last right. week or just you know, a lot of times things happen at home and we bring them into work. So true. And it impacts how we're showing up. And what we tend to do is we judge everyone's behavior, but we don't necessarily know what's going on like below the water surface. If you have a, like an iceberg analogy, like the tip of the iceberg is all the behavior. What's happening in their lives is everything below the water surface. And we could do a bit of a better job just spending a little bit more time trying to dive a little bit underneath that water surface to find out like, Hey, what, like, what's going on today? You don't seem like your full self. Like, you know, what, you know, where do you need support? It, just as a way to say, Hey, listen, I see you. I hear you. I'm, I'm with you. I'm part I got of your, your Peloton. Back. Yeah. And, Love it. and it doesn't take a lot of time. I know we do feel like we have absolutely no time because we are so, <laughs> busy spinning away right. but these little things matter so much they in building do. trust and building connection and can save us a whole bunch of time downstream yeah no question this is awesome all right so um now that you've got everyone charged up and thinking about all these topics michael share with our audience where they can find you how they can get your books etc yes the best bet and you mentioned it earlier justin and thanks for that is my website which is michael o'brien shift.com there they can get a free copy of my last bad day shift all they have to do is pay for shipping and handling and there's a coupon code yeah just use the coupon code shift, shift. yeah there you and go you take 25 percent off of shipping and handling so it's a great book you, know, you can put it into your back pocket into your pocketbook or your your folder and it, some really great exercises some good thought-provoking questions all to help someone prevent those bad moments from turning into a bad day. I love it, man. You like nailed it right there on the bottom line. That's, <laughs> that's great. Well, I, I'm a, like, I, like, You've done this, this a few so, times. Like, I, my last bad day was July 11, 2001. And, that's so and crazy. The way, you know, what people, when people read it, it's not, you know, it's not a unicorn and rainbow book. It's not <sighs> an endless supply uh-huh. of Skittles book. You know, it's unfortunately, but it, it's the last bad day to me is that day you decide you're going to live your life differently and you're going to follow and write a new script. And that to me is that's, that's an empowering message to say, Hey, you know what? You don't have to follow the old way anymore. Your last bad day is the day you decide you're going to do it a bit differently. I love it. And hopefully someone listening is going, you know what? That today's, today's that day. You know, that's what we want. 
Okay, Michael, thanks for spending your morning with us on the Contender Cast. Thanks for having me on, Justin. Uh, part two. Oh, so I love it. I love it. The <laughs> so Hopefully people thought it was better. That's so great. Thanks, man. The Contender Cast is sponsored by Henderson Shapiro Peck. You can download additional Contender Cast episodes directly via the Apple iTunes App Store, the Google Play Store, Spotify, and other preferred podcast platforms. If you would like to be a guest on the Contender Cast, connect with us at contenderbrands.com. This is Brian Benson reminding you that every winner started as a contender. Contender.